Our New Testament reading tonight is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's hear God's word. Paul writes, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Verse 5, you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of our God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My question to you tonight is this. Is Christianity good for women? Is Christianity good for men? Is Christianity good for humanity? If you're a Christian, then you are assuming that yes, Christianity is good for humanity and therefore it's good for men and for women both. If you're here and you're not a Christian believer, then you might still be asking yourself this question and it's a good question to raise. Is Christianity good for women? Is Christianity good for men? Now, of course, I'm a pastor. I think that Christianity is not only good, but it's also true and beautiful. And I have come to believe that Paul's vision of what women and men can become when they are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ is a good and a true and a beautiful vision for women and men. We read 12 of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Here is a group of Christians who are living in the Greco-Roman world, Thessalonica, Paul came to them. He shared with them some crazy news. He shared with them the fact that God had become a man, that in Jesus Christ, God had won a victory over evil and death by dying on the cross and then rising three days later, that Jesus was the beginning of a whole new way to be human, that being true women and men meant to trust in God and to follow God's spirit and to become by God's grace, more and more like God's own son in every possible way for the good of the whole world. 
They say that no teacher has had a better student than Plato had in his student Aristotle, and no student had a better teacher than Aristotle had in Plato, his teacher. I would say that this text shows us that no parent had better children than Paul had in the Thessalonian church, and in fact, no children had a better parent than this little church had in Paul. And in this letter, Paul celebrates the experience that he shared with this church in Greece back when he first helped them to form into a community that was following Jesus. You know, what's marvelous about this is that Paul, in these verses, tells us a lot about his vision in small ways, in subtle ways, his vision for renewed women and renewed men while he's telling us this story of his time with this church. You know, in other letters, Paul has to address specific problems in certain churches, and he has to give his guidance on what women and men ought to do in those situations, full of problems as they were. And because there are specific problems and instructions for women and men, when we read those texts, we have to figure out what exactly those problems were, and we have to think hard about whether Paul, and therefore God's spirit who inspired these letters, wanted every church in every culture forever to follow these specific guidelines, or whether they applied to the church itself in that time alone. So for example, should, should it be that men alone should be overseers? Should it be that women should always and everywhere cover their heads? You know, you all are wearing face masks. I suppose if we wanted to be really capital B biblical about it, right? We'd have all the ladies take their face masks off their mouths and put them up over the crowns of their heads. But here in these texts, Paul isn't dealing with problems. Instead, he's just remembering good times with the church that he loves so much. And he remembers this church with so much joy. And so this means that when we read these letters, we can sit back and we can hear him marvel and rejoice as he writes about the people of that church and their role as women and men. And as he gives us hints of what gender and new creations in Christ ought to be together. How is Christianity good for women? How is it good for men? Well, there's five ways that I think Paul, in subtle ways, shows us what it could be to be a man in a new creation in Christ, to be a woman in new creation in Christ. And I think that these things that he says sort of bursts the gender stereotypes of his day with the gospel and does so with ours as well. So let's take a look at these five things. First of all, first is Paul preaches good news, not just to men, but to both men, men and women. Right away in verse one of chapter two, we see this. He says, I preach to you brothers or brothers and sisters. The word's adelphoi and it's masculine plural in the Greek, kind of like mention in German. And it includes women when the context naturally includes women. Paul says that he came to women and men alike. And then verse 2, that he had the courage to tell them all, men and women alike, the gospel. And you might think, so what? But this is actually a big deal. 
in the Greco-Roman world, it was men who were told important things about the world of men, things like politics and war and philosophy and business. This was stuff that obviously impacted women, but it was thought of as men's stuff. And so the men were the first and sometimes the only ones to know. But Paul says that he and his colleagues preached the gospel, even though it was very dangerous, first two, to do so. In other words, he risked his life to give women as well as men a chance to hear and to learn this news firsthand. He faced great suffering in order to speak not just to the hearts and minds of men, but also to the hearts and minds of women. So just like it was women who first witnessed the empty tomb of Jesus that first Easter, Paul preaches in Thessalonica with Easter passion and courage, not just to men, but to women as well. This is women's business, this new creation in Christ stuff. And so Paul preaches to both men and women. That's the first thing. Second interesting thing, Paul ignores the conventions of public rhetoric of his time. The men's world of public speaking had its specific techniques. Paul was not going to allow those manly sort of techniques to overwhelm his ministry. Other male speakers might have had impure motivations, verse 3, but not Paul. He's not going to do anything that it takes to please people, verse 4, like flattering people or being fake, verse 5. He's not going to tell people they must believe and obey everything he says just because of how important and respected he is, verse 6. You know, in 1 Corinthians, he says other things like this. He didn't speak to women and men showing off his eloquence, pretending to be wise or strong. Greek men wanted philosophers or at least eloquent speakers. Jewish men wanted powerful, strong men who could stand up to the Roman oppressors. But Paul says, look, I'm not going to be your typical Jewish or Greek male speaker. I'm going to ignore the conventions of public rhetoric in the Greco-Roman world so that I can preach the good news to women and men both. So first, Paul preaches the good news to both women and men. Second, Paul ignores the conventions of public rhetoric in the Greco-Roman world. And third, Paul actually adopts, this is where it gets interesting, adopts feminine stereotypes in his preaching. In 1 Corinthians, he says that he came speaking to the Corinthians in weakness and fear and with trembling. And here in 1 Thessalonians, verse 7, uh, chapter 2, he says that he came in gentleness. He came like a child. Now, the men in charge of the Greco-Roman world believed that women were absolutely weaker than men in every way. They weren't brave. They were fearful. They weren't calm, but they trembled. They were not tough, but they were, at best, gentle. But Paul basically says, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and therefore I'm not ashamed of my own frail, broken humanity. You can call me a pathetic woman if you want, and I'll just tell you that women and men in a broken world are weak. 
And I'll also tell you that when I am weak, thanks be to God, Jesus is strong. So Paul gladly adopts feminine stereotypes in his preaching, and that's our third thing. Fourth, Paul adopted feminine stereotypes in his pastoring, not just in his preaching, but in his pastoring. He gladly took on typical feminine stereotypes. This might be my favorite verse in the whole Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Paul says, don't forget, I was like a nursing mother with you all. It was like I fed you from my own breasts. I held you in my arms. I rocked you and made sure that you had both physical touch and comfort as well as nutrition. In verse 8, he says that he shared not just the good news, but his very life with them. And who shares their very life with someone more than a breastfeeding mother? She gives her own body for a baby, first for nine months, carrying the baby around, then for, not, for many more months, perhaps, making and giving milk to the baby from her own body. And Paul's own body, his own life itself, was his gift, not just his sermons. And that's a good thing for a preacher like me to remember. His life and not just his sermons were his gift. And he's proud to be, therefore, a breastfeeding mother to this infant church. And you know what I'll tell you, especially men? Ten years from now, if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, ever since you've become a Christian believer and have grown in grace, it's like you remind me of a nursing mother. That would be the biggest compliment somebody could pay you. So Paul adopts feminine stereotypes in his pastoring and not just in his preaching. And that's our fourth thing. Fifth thing, last thing. Paul transforms masculine stereotypes in his ministry. So finally, Paul gets around to saying how manly he was in his time with the Thessalonians. He was like a father, he says. Okay, great, finally, patriarchy. Fathers rule, fathers give orders, fathers make great demands of their children, provide them with the best tutors that they can afford, who can not only teach them how to read and write and speak, but who can be tough and make them tough like men, right? Well, that's not how Paul describes his fatherhood among this church. He says that his attitudes and words and actions among them were, he says, holy and righteous and blameless, verse 10. And that means that before he spoke or acted, he recognized that he was set apart for God's purposes, that he had to model God's own attitudes and words and actions in the way that he treated the people there. Paul is saying, forget everything you know about typical Greco-Roman gods. Forget everything you know about typical Greco-Roman fathers. I've got a God and Father who is the kind of father that every one of you needed and most of you never had. Because God the Father, verse 12, encourages rather than frustrates and discourages his children. And so that's what I was like with you. Because God the Father comforts you instead of telling you to stop being such a girl, then I'm going to comfort you too 
because God the Father has a great desire for you to be both useful to his kingdom and to become the glorious person you were meant to be, well, I too, as your spiritual father, am urging you to dedicate your lives completely to your heavenly father. So lastly and fifthly, Paul transforms masculine stereotypes in his ministry. So there's five things for you, five gender stereotypes that Paul smashes. Just from one little passage, I could give you more, like how Christian women are called to bear armor like gladiators and defend themselves, as Paul writes in Galatians. Or like how Christian women compete like Olympic athletes, despite the fact that the Greeks thought only men were real athletes, since the women were weak, you know, in 1 Corinthians. Paul says the ladies are Olympic athletes. Is Christianity good for women? I think Christianity calls women to be thinkers and not just feelers, spiritual fighters and athletes and not just spectators, deciders and not just bystanders. I think Christianity restores women to the dignity that secular ancient culture reserved only for men. And I think Christian, Christian faith and Christian teaching dignifies women better than secular contemporary culture does as well. Is Christianity good for men? I think Christianity calls men to be providers of loving physical touch and not just financial providers to their children. I think Christianity calls men to be feelers and not just thinkers, to speak with conviction and feeling and not just with uh, false motivations and emotional and intellectual manipulation. I think it calls men to be nurturers and not simply disciplinarians. Christianity calls men to say, I love you to their wives and to their children and even to their friends instead of just taking action. But look, here's the reason. These are great reasons why I think Christianity is good for women and for men. But the reason that I really think Christianity is good for women and for men and for humanity is not first and foremost because I think it messes with our gender stereotypes. It does. But the reason that Christianity is good for us is because Jesus Christ, the human who represented God and who was and is God, he did And he does everything that's necessary to redeem women and men. And Jesus redeems women and men without a care in the world if people are going to slap gender stereotypes on his attitudes and words and actions. And that means that the Paul that we see, that we read about here as motherly and fatherly in this passage, well, this kind of Paul is just trying to be as much like the Lord Jesus as he possibly can. Because after all, Paul knew more than anybody that it was Jesus who came to both men and to women and called them to follow him. It was Jesus who refused to manipulate people with his words in order to gain power, but instead spoke as the very word of God. It was Jesus who came to earth not to give us what we wanted, that would please us, but what we really needed, a chance to be saved from our sins and to be completely transformed into the humans we were meant to be. 
And it was Jesus who was gentle, even while he was bringing justice. He didn't break tender reeds or snuff out candles that were barely burning. And it was Jesus, God in a body like ours, who set aside his strength and became weak all the way to the point that he gave up his life at the cross. And it was Jesus, after all, who nursed us and fed us with his own body, sharing his very life with us by dying for us. You know, for a long time, I've thought it would be cool to get a tattoo of a pelican. And that's because a pelican is an ancient Christian symbol, kind of by accident. For a long time, people observed pelicans, and they have little marks on their chests. And they almost saw pelicans who were just messing with their own feathers. It looked as if the pelicans were piercing their own chests and bleeding out on themselves, and that their young ones were being fed by their own blood from their own body. And so... That's what they thought they were doing. Well, Paul was a pelican. Because he saw Jesus as this kind of pelican, (laughs) giving his own body and his blood that we might live and live abundantly. When these early Christians thought they saw pelicans doing this, they put them in stained glass windows and painted them on altars and eventually tattooed them on themselves. Jesus has been the real pelican who gives of his own body and blood that we might live. And it's important to recognize that Christian teaching always has said that God is not a male or a female. God reveals himself to be father but then he goes and transforms every bad stereotype that we might have about fathers. Jesus, of course, is male, but even as a man, he represented the very character of God in ways that we might think of as feminine. And you know what? He doesn't care. He'll do whatever it takes to represent God his father and to love and to nurture and to save us and to make sure that we feel and are encouraged by his father's love. And Paul has learned to imitate him and to do the same. So you want to be a Christian? Well, if you do, then your culture doesn't get to tell you what or who you are or how you should behave based on your gender. Jesus Christ has claimed you for his own He's the only one with this claim on you. And if you're a woman, he's going to make you into the kind of woman who is more like Jesus. If you're a man, he's going to make you into the kind of man who is more like Jesus. Tough and tender, encouraging and understanding. A thinker and a feeler and a doer. And he's going to do this by saving you from your sin through his own toughness and tenderness. He's going to keep doing it by making you more truly human and holy through his nurture and through his challenging word. And when we are fully his and completely holy, 
in our everlasting, resurrected, glorified bodies. We will be so glorious as women and men renewed in God's image that we won't even remember the silly stereotypes that our culture is caught up in now. If you're a Christian woman or man, well, Jesus is good for you in the way that he loved you, in the way that he loves you now, in the way that he will love you forever. And he stays close enough to keep challenging you to grow and close enough to assure you that challenge you though he will, he will never, ever leave you. Not now, not ever, while you're growing into the fullest person that you were meant to be as a woman or man by his grace. Isn't it just the most astonishing thing to get to be a Christian believer? Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are in Christ our rock and our redeemer. Amen.